Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Thanks very much for joining us on Mentally Yours. Really appreciate it. So we're here to talk a bit about how the coronavirus epidemic is affecting GPs and how they're dealing with it. Um, what have you been seeing personally? So I think I think we've had, you know, we, I think even if we if we just go sort of pre-pandemic, you know, we've had lots of different challenges with regards to overall mental health in in, in our patients, but also um, within the workforce, within the frontline staff. And uh, and certainly, you know, the pressure that we've all been put under has been nothing but unprecedented. And whilst many great things have come from the way we work, as in come out of this from from the way we, we're, we're working, the way that um, uh, we've all taken to remote medicine and digital medicine, I think certain things have probably helped our mental health. But I think overall, um, the level of pressure that um, the front line is on is, is, is definitely very difficult. And I think there's always that element of, of adrenaline that kicks in when you deal with, with, with an element of a pandemic where we're all, you know, we're all working on literally a, a sort of a, a full go steam where, you know, and I'm sure when the adrenaline wears off and all of this starts to settle down, we'll probably start to see the true effect of actually what, uh, uh, what uh, mental health burden this has placed upon our workforce but um it's tough it's tough and i think you know i think it's tough not only just from from our from our profession in terms of us delivering care but we are we are we are husbands we are sons we are um fathers and and i think it it adds that that pressure there as well where um whilst absolutely we want the country to be in 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 lockdown and so that we can all go and do our job safely i think um uh, the internal battles will eventually kick in. So, 
Um, I think we're all coping. Um, it's just, um, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, our, our focus is definitely more on, on how we get through this and how we serve, um, uh, as public servants on the front line. Um, but I think certainly once things start to calm down, the true effect of, of, of how we're feeling will start to, um, transpire. What sort of support is there out there at the moment for health professionals, um, in terms of their mental health? I think on the, on the, on the acute front line, Probably not a great deal, but I think there's definitely, um, you know, there are organisations that are there to support us, and and the the sort of benevolent fund uh, is an organisation which is set up for for this exact reason to help us um, uh, in a confidential manner as well. I think you know it's a very difficult thing for for us to get our stigma out of this, uh, out of this speciality, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing for us to talk about. And, I, and whilst we're, we're very good in, in, in talking about removing stigma from mental health as, 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 as clinicians, and, and we definitely want this to be removed in society. Um, we do have support, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's probably not more about what support we have. It's probably more about how many people are truly accessing it. And, uh, and I think that's one of the challenges that I'd love to be sort of um, trying to get to the bottom of is, is, is it okay um, for us to say that we're not coping or to say that um, uh, we're struggling? Um, so the, the Benevolent Fund is there. It's an organization that, that is there to support um, frontline doctors. Um, uh, and I know they look at, they look at dentists as well. Um, I think the reality is, is that whilst the, the, there are things there for doctors, you know, the question is, is you know, what what, what is there for my receptionists? What is you know, what's there for my nurses? What's there for um, the cleaner that cleans my surgery? What's the what's there for the transport staff that are moving blood samples from A to B? And you know, and that's probably the bit that we start to reflect more on and think, well great to say that you know you've got all these organizations to support doctors but i think we do need to think wider wider than us um and uh, and, and how and what is available for them without necessarily i call it and, and not that we want necessarily special treatment but you know otherwise we all fall into the general population and and that's a discussion obviously um i'm sure we're going to touch on shortly what sort of what are the some of the biggest challenges that frontline workers are facing at the moment in terms of their mental health um, I think well, going back to my point of of running on adrenaline, I think when we're put in these scenarios, we 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 perform really quite well. You know, when you when you put when you put um, NHS staff and and care staff into extreme challenges, we all roll up our sleeves and 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 we've got very much a, a we've just got to do this attitude. And, and and I suppose sometimes quite rightly, but I think it's um um. I think it's about sort of making sure that we can talk. I think in times like this, you know, having groups and teams um, where we can all sit and reflect a little bit and, 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 you know, where you do come up for a little bit of air and go, oh gosh, you know. So one of the things, for example, what we do um, uh, in our surgeries is we have talking sessions and we have very open, reflective things about and it's, it's all right to say anything in this space. And, and we call it that where we, we literally, we're allowed to say, um, gosh, you know, this was the worst day or, you know, and, you know, for example, today, you know, just, just to give you a very live example, we had, um, we lost three people. Um, and, and this is, this is all due to COVID. So we are getting, you know, significantly more, um, death rates, if I can, if I can politely put it that way, um, in our population. And, and it does affect our staff. And, you know, so one of my, my staff members today was, 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 you know, very upset because of, of, of a patient that we've looked after for the last 30 years had passed away. And arguably you could say, well, 
you know, it was definitely before one's time. It was heartbreaking to see her upset. It was heartbreaking, obviously, that this patient had passed away. Um, but when we get to sit down and talk about it, and rather than sort of people just go home and swallow it and internalize it and, and find that you don't get uh, a way to, um, to put it out in the open, to talk about the things that you're thinking about, um, uh, especially with other, other other members of our team, because I think you know different people externalize things in different ways. And while she got upset, um, I certainly couldn't assume that any of my other staff weren't upset. I'm just not sure that they different people deal with these things in different ways. So having an opportunity to actually verbalize this in open and reflect that you know, this isn't all a sort of a, a pat on the back moment for us. This is more about going, well, tell us what upset you today. Tell us what makes things difficult for you today. Um, how can we help as well? And, you know, you know, obviously, I, you know, we, we, we employ in our surgery, we have three surgeries. Um, certainly in the private sector, um, our organization, GPDQ, has 100 GPs nearly nationwide. And each of those people we feel responsible for. And, you know, whereas I think... Um, we want to remove the taboo from talking about it. We want to remove the taboo to say that it is all right to be upset. It is all right to feel sadness. It is all right to to pull down that sort of what can I say that sort of superhero mask off and say, do you know what I am? I, I, I am struggling a little bit, and I think talking is is half is half the. I feel sometimes can often be half the the the, the battle resolved. You'd mentioned several times about um, the adrenaline that a lot of health workers will be sort of working on at the moment, um, but what do you think is going to happen when that wears off and when, when the epidemic's over, are you expecting um, possibly a surge in mental health issues within the medical profession? I think there probably will be. I, I don't think it's just the medical health profession. I think um, the general population itself is going to, you know, at the moment we, 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 we we've, we've put a lid on things. Um, you know, everyone's kind of closed off and the public have been fantastic. Our patients have really, you know, um, have taken to this change quite amazingly, quite frankly. And I don't think we can do this. We can't continue to deliver the health service that we want to deliver without our patient support. And I think people are realizing that. But but having said that, we also then have concerns about, well, where are all my, you know, I, and I'm the mental health lead for my practice. I've, um, uh, I've spent a lot of years looking at commissioning mental health. I've sat as a, a CCG board member uh, in, uh, leading on mental health. So it's, 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 it's a huge passion of mine, and it's something that I uh, I will advocate until my last days, really, around you know how our mind works and how we how we deal with things and stuff uh, uh, and, and this of this sort. So um, I think um, it's not just us. I think the population is keeping a, a cap on a lot of things, you know. And I, you know, we were just reflecting the other day that um, I normally run a mental health clinic every week. And I start to think, well, where are all those patients now that we've moved to this? You know, why aren't I speaking to them? And so um, whilst we've all been sort of, you know, clattering around to really make sure that we provide a, an essential service to make sure effectively people aren't dying, which is kind of where we're at at the moment, um, you kind of forget about the sort of the other things that we were doing, you know, whether that be, you know, I haven't made a single cancer referral in the last two 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 months now. You know, and I start to worry. I start to think, well, gosh, normally we make at least three or four cancer referrals a month. You know, so where are these people? And and we can say the same for mental health. We can still say the same for um, all of our physical patients that uh, with physical health conditions. You know, we're not necessarily seeing them. We are seeing them in a different manner. But um, um, 
And this is where we have to start to understand that I get it. Priorities, um, physical priorities of, of, of life preservation have to take, uh, uh, control here. Um, but I think when we come out of this, I think there's going to be a lot of, um, and, and whether we want to sort of label it as a, a post traumatic, which it is, it, you know, it's going to be an element of a, a PTSD type of scenario where we've all been through trauma, um, whether it be directly, whether it be indirectly. And certainly by the end of this, we're all going to know people that have, um, uh, suffered from the effects of what's happened. So, um, and dealing with that is going to be a challenge, you know, and I think this, this, this is a debate where we, we, when we start to think of what does post COVID look like, we have to start to introduce what support we are going to give from a mental health perspective. Are we going to start to pay um, the attention that we need to be paying to it from a funding perspective? Um, you know, we need to start to truly get parity for, for mental health. Now, the question of whether is it's affordable or not, I've, I've been, I've been banging this drum for the last 14 years of my, um, uh, of my involvement in mental health. But the reality is, is that there are hard choices to make. But I think we definitely have to start to think about what support we're going to give the population, what support we're going to give the profession um, as a whole and all frontline workers. And I think it's not just... Um, it's not just the health service, you know, and I certainly don't want to sort of um, say that, you know, we're the only people that are, 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 are here trying to do um, something, you know, everything from the people that are driving the trucks to deliver our food um, from the, my postman who's 72 years old and he's served me for the last 25 years, you know, um, and I see, you know, and so all of these people that are making our country continue to operate in some sort of uh, normal fashion or a fashion that we're used to, uh, are all going to need some sort of support. And, 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 and then when we think about the general population, you know, and I, and I, and I think, you know, whilst I'd rather not be doing this, you know, um, uh, fighting a pandemic, um, don't get me wrong. Um, I am grateful that I'm, that I'm able to, to, to do something uh, that I'm able to, to, to contribute, um, to, to our nation. And I see the positivity that it's brought and, you know, and we must talk about the, those positives. And I think I don't want those to go amiss here that, you know, so many positive things have come out of, of this in terms of bringing our nation together, bringing, you know, I've not seen communities come together like this ever, literally ever, um, in my, um, career or my life, you know, and I think, you know, um, our street, even right down to street level, you know, um, people are, are buying food for each other. People are, uh, uh, are calling, you know, we have two elderly, um, people on our street and, you know, we're getting food arranged. We're getting cooked food arranged. We're getting vegetables over to them. We're getting all of these things that we never did. And I, you know, I, I didn't know half my street. Um, so I think these are the things that I think are going to aid, the overall recovery, because um, I think there are positives that we need to bring from this. Um, I think people who have been directly affected with this, I think, are certainly going to have more of a challenge, which is probably where we need to focus our efforts, especially those people that have lost their jobs, that have lost their businesses, that um, that are losing income and uh, can't send their children to, to the schools that they did send them to, or they can't. So everyone has their own story, and I think we have to just make sure that, that we're there for them uh, when the time's right.
Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up sort of some of the positives because obviously it's a very difficult time. But I spoke to a previous guest and as well as talking about sort of the idea of PTSD, the difficulties after the pandemic, I also mentioned the idea of post-traumatic growth, which is a a new concept to me. So the idea that although this is a really difficult time, it, it actually might sort of make people, I suppose it's sort of stronger in the long run. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do, and I think, um, and I think there's evidence of that through history. You know, um, I think when you, um, it's interesting. I heard a, a very interesting phrase, and it's, and it is actually, it's, it's in a different language. And when you translate it literally, is that when you, when a field gets burnt down, you start seeing growth that you've never seen grow there before. So things can grow in that field that just never would you could have never grown there before. So I think going looking at that concept, I think this is what we call resilience. You know, even if we look in the United Kingdom post-war, um, there was a resilience of survival. And I think as, 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 as the human race, we've, we've gone through several, um, uh, rounds of that over the centuries around, um, uh, around, uh, around rebound growth, rebound positivity and survival. So I think there's an element of, uh, of opportunity there. And I totally, um, I totally buy into it. And I think it's, it's a very nice thing to, 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 to also believe in. And, and however you want to call it, we could probably even label that as hope. Back to the sort of nitty gritty of the here and now, um, what do you think the government should be doing in terms of supporting people's mental health through this pandemic? Because at the moment it's very sort of straightforward, isn't it? Sort of don't, you know, wash your hands lots and don't go out pretty much. Um, I think think it's really important that... um we try to have routine. I think having routine and structure within one's lockdown um, is important. Um, I'm sure if you ask my wife, who's 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 managing our two children um, at home, uh, uh, at a time where things can get obviously intriguingly challenging here. Um, but I think you know, I think we having routine is very important. I think exercise is of critical importance. I think movement, body movement getting the blood flowing. And this is probably my doctor side coming out in that I think we have to absolutely exercise. Um, uh, it's going to be one of our major saviors in this, that we, we keep, um, our muscles, our bones active. And certainly, you know, what we don't want to do is end up with sort of chronic pain at the end of this, uh, through inactivity, eating healthy, I think is important. And then I'm going to talk about the stuff that we don't, I don't feel we talk enough of. Um, and I appreciate, you know, we don't always necessarily have the evidence around the effectivity of some of these things, but, um, uh, and one may even, one may even refer to this as the wishy-washy stuff. And I'm, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to sort of come back to that is this is about meditation. It's about calmness. It's about yoga. It's about mindfulness. It's about all of those things. And, and however we want to, to put that in, um, some people, uh, for example, you know, go to a place of worship and, 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 or, or find praying a very, very cathartic process. And I, and I always say, well, look, if that works, then let's use it. Some people will sit there and do sort of yoga and, and, and relaxation. And so whatever works, it is about mind control. And I think the ability to, to, to stay calm in in one's mind, I think is important. And I think that's backed up with exercise as well. Because going back to the adrenaline discussion, if we've got all of this adrenaline in our system, which is not doing anything, you end up with that sort of very jittery, you know, the, the anxiety that goes with it. It's kind of like you're ready to do a hundred meter run, but you're not doing it. So um, 
it's that that we've got to burn off. And um, we've got to burn off that excessive um, adrenaline. We've got to tire the body because after uh, days and days of um, lockdown, you, you you don't end up utilizing the muscles. You don't utilize your, um, you don't tire properly. Your sleep then gets affected. And, and, and sleep is a, is, is a huge one here. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things I'm seeing um, as a frontline clinician in general practice is that we're, um, we're seeing a lot of sleep disorders because naturally people are not necessarily as tired or as busy as they are. Um, their minds are not as tired, as busy as they normally would be. Um, they might be having the odd nap in the afternoon, which kind of messes up the sleep cycle. Well, and, and I don't blame them because if, you know, ultimately if, 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 if one isn't kept busy, um, it does affect your nighttime sleep. And I think that, that cycle being interrupted, it, um, is probably the most important one. I think, you know, having a couple of uh, uh, late nights watching Netflix is one thing, but I think repeated cycles of, of, of disturbed sleep patterns affects the quality and the type of sleep that you have, um, can affect um, overall lethargy um, in the morning. Um, and going back to the, the element of routine, you know, I think having routine is, is, is really important. And what about the government? What do you think they should be doing in terms of supporting GPs and um, NHS workers, mental health, and also the publics? I think the government is 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 busy. I think we're all busy um, trying to trying to fight something which is is is, is on a global scale. So I think um, uh, what we should be doing is planning. I think this should be planning in place to help us um, uh, try and see what that future post pandemic looks like. Number one, I think we need to start looking at alternative ways of working. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that we've all adapted to in a remarkable way, whether it be primary care doing video consultations, whether it be businesses now working in a completely different way, whether it be you and I conversing in this manner. Um, you know, we're all using technology, um, on a scale that we would have never, ever uh, anticipated, you know. So um, I think the services that we provide have to fall that way as well. And we start, you know, we have to start to think that um, we've got a huge workforce that aren't necessarily doing anything um, or not doing uh, uh, as much as maybe they were, and whether that be the psychotherapists, the counsellors. So, and I know, and you know, we, we work with counsellors and psychotherapists, and I know that they're crying out to be able to support in the mental health arena. Um, but maybe that we need to start to look at platforms that will allow um, the NHS to deliver that sort of care um, and opening it up and funding it. You know, um, what we can't say is, um, you know, yes, whilst we can say all routine operations have stopped, understood, um, but actually you know, you can deliver mental health in a remote way. You can deliver it using technology and, uh, uh, and, and us not knowing how long this is going to be in this sort of environment where certain normal services aren't going to resume is that I'd really like, um, different ways of delivering the services that, that, that we can. And I think we can definitely deliver more of it, you know, and I think using technology and, and different means allows you to open up access to a whole different world um, of numbers of people that you can, you can talk to and treat. So um, I think certainly um, investment in that arena would be very useful. What are you doing at the moment at your own practice or what are you looking at in terms of supporting people with mental health issues remotely? Um, so we're, we're doing this through video and through, through telephone. Um, you know, we don't want people to come into the surgery unnecessarily, um, quite rightly. We don't want them to 
to leave their potentially sterile home and potentially come into an arena that might not be and then you end up taking things back so um we have um follow-up clinics and they're all they've all turned virtual effectively so um we have regular telephone and video consultations wherever that's possible um uh with all of our chronic diseases and 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 our mental health register sits as one of them so we've definitely moved our medication reviews slightly narrower so when we see people face to face we generally want to see them every six weeks let's say whereas actually what we're doing now because we haven't got that face-to-face element it's opened up huge amounts of appointments for us so it really has allowed us to increase access on a scale that i've never certainly seen before so the ability for us to monitor our our mental health patients every month uh is great the ability to monitor especially um, you know, we've got a lot of high-risk patients, and you may be aware of, of the government um, uh, highlighting a, a proportion of the population which are high-risk um, for various reasons, and that is often due to sort of comorbidities of heart and lung and, and, and diabetes and things, and age, obviously. But uh, um, so we're allowed, you know, so, so we're now in a position where we can actually start to follow these people up on a much more regular basis than we did before. Uh, when, when all we had arguably was face to face, um, with some telephone. I mean, we've done telephone for many years, but I think, um, freeing up appointments has been our biggest probably benefit in this, that we can start to actually uh, address these, these patients that are vulnerable in a, in a, and mental health obviously falls into that, but address them more frequently. If you've been affected by any of the stuff we talked about today, or you're struggling with your mental health amid the pandemic, you can contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.